It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of Work Cookie, our weekly get together for IOs, HR, recruiters, one actor, and all of us who are enjoying working in the business community and helping people be better. Uh, Jeremy, today we're gonna talk about preventing backslide in team cohesion. A little bit about that, please. Yes, and uh, we were talking before we hit we hit recording. And there's there's it was an interesting parallel. Uh, we had a virtual communication mastery event today with with Liam, and he has his new book out called Running Remote. And the discussion there was on purely going asynchronous or ninety percent just asynchronous in organizations. And uh, he's got this he's got this interesting guest uh, document that that he shared. And the parallel is, so when we talk about team cohesion, of course, we worry, and in, in, in we're not going to talk, you know, to, the purpose of today is not to talk about synchronous for, I don't want to go, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole unless we, um, but the interesting part is, you know, if you look at an asynchronous, uh, pure organization, one of the thoughts might be, oh my goodness, what about team cohesion? But there's something called a, a, a personal management interview, and I, I provided the in the chat i provided the title of this study it was a longitudinal study and for those listening to the podcast it's called preventing regression and team building a longitudinal study of the personal management so we're going to talk about that and then the other thing in terms of guidelines for what we may discover and, and discuss today is politics so there's another interesting study that it's called team political skill composition as a determinant of team cohesiveness and performance so we're going to talk about these studies. We also want to be aware, as IOs, sometimes we get too much into our own language and lingo, but we need to make sure that we're talking to our base and increasing the brand of IO with our messaging. So we're going to make sure that we uh, we keep that in mind. But there's some interesting things in terms of when you look at the studies that are done, We studies, you know, agreeableness and charisma in terms of how effective individuals can be in order. So this study actually looked at something that they found hadn't been covered, which is if teams are good as a team uh, at, at the politics, that can actually increase team cohesion and also productivity as team. So I shared in the chat a PDF of that study. It is readily available on uh, Google Scholar. So I'm not providing any uh, proprietary information. You should not. 
And I believe the copy that I shared has some highlighted parts that I thought were quite interesting. And if you would like, you can download that PDF and draw your own conclusions, your own interpretations, and also those highlighted parts might be talking points for today. On that note, before uh, I ask you a question, Tom, next week, we will be looking at, check it out, social norms. So that will be our, our topic for next week. Uh, new social norms in the workplace and communication, behavior, look, uh, all things important there. And if Destiny's schedule allows, Destiny will be cohort next week. So we're all looking to that. Now, Tom, can you give us a little brief on what we were talking about with? Yeah, Liam Martin has a brand new book out called Running Remote. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, I believe, is carrying it down in the States. Chapters has it up here. Uh, and, and Liam is a rem- owner of a remote only company. So they, they you know, if you read the book, they once upon a time, they had a office in San Francisco because if you want to deal with certain level of clients, you need an office space. Liam's been there once. He says it's a dismal dark place. Uh, but basically the concept, if we go mostly to asynchronous communication or async first, that it actually improves the way that we work, that people are able to get much more done. He's also looking at, you know, you just can't then fill the universe with asynchronous communication that is not well planned. You've got to be able to really come down to the core of the message. You've got to get better communication skills. But then he also talks about how it democratizes the entire organization, that if everybody, and he's a big believer in sharing sometimes even, you know, the secret information that executives might possess. With the notion that if everyone in the organization has the information, it really does affect the organization in a positive way. Uh, and so he's really sort of going to this model of relying 90% of the time on asynchronous communication, allowing people to work and get the work done. In his organization, they don't care if you work eight hours a day. They care that the product gets done, that you get the work done. And so he's really moving to this model, which seems to be at least in my mind, reading the book and the, and the, you know, reading the book, as I said to Liam, I wanted to disagree with everything he was saying, <laughs> but then I'd flip the page and I'd read something. I go, oh, okay, I, I have to agree now. So it's really a, a dramatic change. Can everyone go this way? Probably not. But I think especially for remote and online organizations, and even for those co-located organizations that aren't even considering going remote, remote, that if you adopt a stronger basis of asynchronous communication, saving synchronous communication for those times you really need to get together as a group, the organization runs more effectively. And as I said in the show, Jeremy, it I think it's a great way to go, especially if you're a more remote organization or want to give your employees a bit more freedom. But I need an I.O. to come in and help me through this transition because a lot of people are going to be like me. There's not going to be great buy-in, buy-in at the top of this. And uh, we've, we've officially, Thomas spent so much time with us. He's got this great IO lens. And even during the event, he asked, you know, how do we manage this change process? And so, Tom, that's a great synopsis. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I will, what I'm going to, I'm going to share some bullet points of what, of this study, preventing regression in, in team building. And maybe that'll give us a little bit of a launching pad. So team team build. So we're talking about team cohesiveness, and right away, uh, many, many companies, many organizations. Okay, well, let's do a team building. Team buildings often fall flat. There's there's likely 
uh, almost zero follow-up. People slip back into old behaviors. So what they did is uh, they had team building, but then they incorporated this PMI, a personal management interview. And what that is, it's you have your CEO or, or your manager, and they take each individual with their team. And then for 30 minutes to an hour, they have multiple uh, interviews, sessions, meetings. And the key, the key identifier is it's for role negotiation to help determine what are the, um, you know, everyone has their job description, but what is their informal role within the organization? So they also go on and I'll, I'm, I'm going to read verbatim here. In the role negotiation meeting, each party states his or her expectations concerning how the two will interact and what each person's specific responsibilities will, where these expectations uh, conflict. And also the parties negotiate until they reach a solution that satisfies both of them. Any non-negotiable items are identified and the rationale is explained. The interesting thing is this is done with each team member individually, but the entire team is given complete transparency, a, a write-up of what, what occurred in that meeting so that there starts um, to be a, a really good understanding of each person's roles. And I'll add here... Again, verbatim, each of these interviews also include uh, the discussion of organizational problems currently facing the subordinate, training the subordinate and management skills, resolution of interpersonal problems between parties, exchange of information about recent developments, organization, identification of individual and organizational needs, highlighting the uh, developments in the organization, and so on. There's uh, quite a long list there. So the Interesting thing with the study is they, they found that there was a significant increase in team cohesiveness and productivity three years because they did this for three years out. And the teams that did this weekly or biweekly and continued to, to have these PMIs, these personal, personal management interviews that are either 30 minutes or an hour long for three years, there was a, a positive effect there. So that might provide, I see, uh, I see a lot of mine uh, now. So. I'll, that's it's a nice launch pad of something that we can talk about. And then later on, after this gets going, then we'll kind of move to that other study about the um, uh, teams being effective. All right, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I'm just looking for some clarity, um, Jeremy, on those PMIs. How did they, did you say that every, like throughout, the, what's the frequency there? Verbatim. Good question. The frequency of the meetings may vary weekly to monthly. Okay. All of the PMIs reported in this study were held biweekly. Meetings normally last half an hour to an hour. I just, I mean, I see that as. <laughs> <laughs> our, 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 our managers are really doing their jobs, so Linda Ann, or do managers actually know what their job is these days? Well, that's part of the, you know, <laughs> that's part of our forever discussion, right? Is what are, what are people's management skill levels? But what they're describing there as a manager, I mean, it's, that's a pretty in-depth process, but I think that it's, that's what made one of the and that's 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 uh, a very valid point. One of the key differentiators here, because they list them like how it differs then uh, as opposed to your performance appraisals. When all progress, it assumes that progress towards the goal is faster when all team members are fully informed and all commitments are tracked. So I think one of the key differences here is that this is shared with the kind of like more, you know, like an open document so that everyone is very clear on what goes on behind closed doors, not meant to be behind closed, but that's the effective way to do it because the, the authors of the study also considered, could we do this in any format? And they decided just based on time, it would, with all the different um, dynamics and dyads of the reasonable to do it in a team setting. 
So they're done individually with their with their with their manager, and then that information shared. So that's kind of one of the things that are that that different requirements. Lee, let's go to you and Dr. Martha. We're coming to you next. You know, my first thought <clears throat> is depending on the size of the team, is who has time for them. You know, if they have a if they have a duties other than being the team leader or manager, say that because if you've got a you know big team and you're spending half an hour to an hour with them every week, I mean that's or or biweekly even that's a lot of time. Now that being said, uh, I think that it's well it will become well spent if it's done correctly. I mean, I, I've I've seen and I participated in things similar to this, but nothing this formalized. And uh, I find that fascinating. I also find it fascinating about the part of it being an open book uh, to the whole team because you know sometimes people are not as candid as they might be when they know it's all going to be shared beyond the you know the closed door. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Uh, you know, the trust is such a huge thing in that. And uh, not just trust with the leader, but with the team member. Because, you know, if now I will say, though, the expectation being set ahead of time is crucial. Because if I go into a meeting and I tell my manager something and they walk right out the door and they tell everybody, well, you know, trust is shattered at that point if we haven't made that understanding ahead of time. Um, also, I might change the language that I use so I can see some self-censorship going on in this situation. Um, but I definitely think that the, the doing it one-on-one would be a lot more productive uh, on a regular basis than in a group setting because group settings, rabbit holes and whatnot, I mean, you're going to end up, uh, you know, I've been working just on a small team with three of us primarily working on a proposal. And sometimes we got to go, we haven't been talking about anything remote to this in the last 15 minutes. We need to get back <laughs> because somebody tells a story and off we go. Part of the hazards of synchronous communication. <laughs> and I love telling stories, but am I getting work done? <laughs> Lead to that. So I, I ended up, I guess I highlighted the right parts to, to be able to respond to these things. So Lee, in response to that, I'll mention, this is verbatim, team leaders also reported that these PMIs saved them time. Most of the CEOs in this study first resisted the idea, arguing that subordinates already took too much of their time. After they tried holding regular PMIs, however, they discovered that the interviews both decreased the total quantity and increased the quality of the time they spent with subordinates. Oh, and that's fascinating. For what it's worth. Yeah, and and you know, I'm going to come back to Liam's book for a second. You know, he talks about creating process documents. How do you do your job? And, and, you know, if we create, it's going to take time to create a process document about how a team works together. But once it's created, then it saves a lot of time. And if you look at the numbers, the numbers should tell you whether or not it's working as long as you have the right numbers. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Well, this is turning out to be so very interesting. Um, I love to hear, um, you know, studies and their findings and the different ways of of. Uh, finding out what's happening. But I think that sometimes um, we get caught up in reinventing the wheel. I think what it comes down to is communication and responsibility. And no matter how we dress it up, it's the same story. So communicating with the team, with each team member, with the team as a whole, and allowing each team member to have a certain level of responsibility for not only their own success, but the team's success. 
And this is exactly what it sounds like is happening here, right? The communications are open. There's a certain level of, of transparency that you're aware of going into that conversation with your manager. And then the, the information is shared with others. And um, again, no matter how we dress it up, that's what it comes down to. So sometimes we make it so complicated, but all it takes is good, open, honest communications and a sense of responsibility that everybody shares. And then we manage to come together and get things done. Um, you know, it made me think um, when I've been listening to this, it made me think back to my school days when we would have uh, team projects. And I would always cringe because, you know, there's going to be two or three people who are doing all the work, a couple of people who are doing some of the work, and there's always one or two who do none of the work. And what I found very interesting was when um, feedback was then given about your own work and about the work of your teammates. And it was that transparency that was um, inspirational, if you will, for uh, some, not everybody, to get it together and really participate in the team and the team success. So uh, this, is, this is very, very interesting, but it, it almost makes me chuckle that it all comes down to two things, no matter how we dress it up. Yes, better if you hear me. Let me ask you this. Are we good at communication? I guess it depends on who's communicating, right? Some people are better at it than others. But I think that there's an opportunity uh, to provide a good platform, um, good set of parameters for how to communicate, how to encourage communication, how to make sure things are kept um, at a level that is professional and civilized, um, things like bullying are not allowed or, or tolerated. So it depends. Uh, some people are better than others, but it also takes a certain environment and a certain leader that will keep things in check. If the leader has no idea how to communicate, let's say the leaders poor at communicating with others, then what chance does everybody else have? Um, because that's that's a, an example that he or she is setting, or that's the rules that he or she is bringing to the table. But I think for the most part, I think people are pretty good at communicating. Um, we just have to keep it in check. Sometimes egos get in the way, sometimes emotions get in the way, but that's what makes humans human. So we just need to keep an eye on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dr. Ryan, let's go to you next, and then Linda and we'll come back to you. Uh-oh, I I think we may have lost Dr. Ariana. Oh, um, sorry. I think I was oh, there you are. Yes. Apologies. Um, yeah, I was going to say that I think it's helpful to understand, you know, the elemental elements of teamwork. But I also think that sometimes an organizing framework can be helpful to make sure you're checking the box in different areas. So I'm going to share my screen if you don't mind. So this is a leadership consulting model that I used at a previous consulting firm for helping executive teams work on their, their teamwork. And I think that this model is helpful because it kind of segments the different areas into purpose, alignment, progress, and synergy, where there's these different factors that you need to work on in order to have the strongest, most cohesive team. So really starting with a purpose, meaning why are we working as a team together? What are our shared vision and goals? And then alignment gets to those clear agreements and clarified roles, you know, <laughs> To Dr. Martha's point, does everyone in the group have their own task that allows them not to, you know, rely on the efforts of others? 
then progress. Do you have clear goals and are you measuring progress towards goals and having clear ways of making decisions? And then lastly, that team synergy part, that's a little bit more social around managing conflict, building trust, communicating effectively and promoting feedback. And sometimes we would even do assessments where we would go in and assess where teams were on all these areas, which then gives you an awareness of your strengths and weaknesses. So I just wanted to bring that up and pose it to the group um, as a model of team. Well, and I can see how that would really help as we're establishing the team and making sure everyone's in alignment. But then can I go back and reflect to that document or is it a working document that will keep people on track? Could you rephrase your question, Tom? Sure. So is, is what you just shared with us, is it only vital and important as we're creating the team and the cohesion, or is it something that we can refer back to to make sure that we're, you know, we check this document weekly or monthly to make sure that we're still on track? I would definitely recommend that it's an ongoing progress check-in, you know, and things will arise over time. And when you're starting a team, you don't usually have as much conflict. And then, you know, the norming, storming models where (laughs) after a while, that's when conflict arises and that's when you need to check in to see if you're building trust and providing feedback along the way to mitigate challenges. So I think maintaining a team is an ongoing process. We can't forget to communicate or that will erode trust over time. I think that this requires effort, but to another speaker's point previously, once you have strong foundations, it gets easier and easier. Very true. Linda Ann, let's go to you and Jeannie, we're coming to you next. So a couple points just on the you and and Dr. Ariana were talking about is when you have those documents that have clear purpose and clear alignment, then that's a wonderful for for all your decision making process, right? So you don't get off track, you don't get um, sidetracked and it's a more creates more efficient process. Um, And then as far as groups, Dr. Doctoring about slackers. I think that my daughter's high school and all through college, because she was a business major, they worked in all the time. And I had a recent conversation with her about that. And she, she, I think she mentioned there were two groups maybe out of her whole time in education, working in groups, that there was somebody who didn't pull their weight. And, you know, it was addressed by the instructor. So I think that the more you work in groups, the, the more people get that they have to contribute. So I think if it's a constant way of being, you don't have those slackers that work for them. Um, and then the transparency, I think is so important because again, to the decision-making piece, when people don't have the clear picture, in other words, if they're just sitting at their desk working on a project, whether they're building a house or whatever it is, they don't have the picture of, oh, well, part of my billable hours go to paying my own salary, but also goes to paying the electricity that I'm using and so forth. And so if you give them transparency, they can think more like the entrepreneur or the owner, and they have a better window into, oh, I need to make this decision, why this is important. And so I think their decision-making process and understanding of what it takes for them to have a job uh, changes. Yeah, I very much agree. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. 
truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Jeannie, let's go to you. Well, I was just going to say that definitions here are also critical where you have employees defining leaders as one thing and you have leaders defining themselves as a different thing. Um, I'm in a current role right now where my leader tells me I am not a babysitter. I shouldn't have to babysit and make sure employees are doing what they are supposed to be doing. And in equal measures, that makes employees hesitant to tell you when employers are not doing their jobs. And because then you're placed in the place of a tattletale. And so if her definition of a leader is that she just is one time and done, she just says the expectation and that's all there is to it. There's a problem because people need more structure. They need an environment where they can ask questions and get enlightenment and not to say it's a babysitter, but it really comes down to definition. Uh, Jeremy, do we do we need to look at those definitions or can we create something new? Like, are, are we, as we're looking at this, are we looking at building something new or have the methods we've been working on and the way we're putting teams together? It's been tried and true for 200 years and we're going to stick with it. When you say definition, uh, definition of... Uh, well, even even the definitions that we use in language or, or the way that, you know, we, the, even the, it, it, let's skip definition, go to processes. It, it, is, is it time to throw everything out the window and to build something new? No. So I'm, I may be misreading your question. I'll give you the answer to what I perceive as your So when we look at definitions, so look at how things are operationalized in studies. So each, because definitions can, you know, aren't always the same. So when you look at a research study, they'll tell you what their definition of a particular variable or construct is. And what they'll usually do is they'll cite, it's kind of like with with uh, with law, it's kind of like citing precedent. So they'll, they'll say, look, according to this person, um, t- cohesiveness means this. According to this person or this uh, research, cohesiveness means this. So they'll provide a bunch of definitions of what maybe team co- means. And then they'll either use one of those or they'll they'll craft their own, but they're always sure in in a particular study. Because we also have to understand the results of the study. I mean, we see this all the time, you know, people, you know, the, you know, people love this. Well, people in that study love that. So we talk about this thing of generalizability, where you have to look at who is involved, what are the demographics of those people, and how far out can you generalize the results? So each study means that this occurred or did not occur in this study, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true for everyone. It means basically something was um, uh, pro- uh, maybe something wasn't proven in that particular study. So it's I would say you know we look at precedent in terms of that, and yes, things change. That's why you know you might have a definition of something back in you know the 1920s or 40s, and then things can change. But in a particular study, they'll define exactly. What. Now, am I close to what you're asking? Yeah, I think you are. Okay. I, th- I think I'm not thinking about it. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you and then Lee will come to you. I was just going to comment on what Jeannie was saying, and I put a little bit in the chat, but I think we're seeing a shift 
And sometimes a resistance to getting our workplaces where they need to be in terms of teams and leadership and organizational leadership and culture, where we, we are coming out of a past that stems from the Industrial Revolution, where it was more hierarchical and top-down, and leaders didn't always need to step up and care for their employees and their well-being and their trust and their cohesion. And so when we ask leaders to begin to consider these topics, it can, I think, feel overwhelming and they may not know where to start. So I think that's where you can get some of those lines like, I'm not your babysitter. Um, Figure it out amongst yourselves. And I think there's a kernel of truth there. Like we all need to take personal accountability in our work team. But on the flip side, I think we're also going to need to work on, you know, meeting leaders where they are and educating them on what we would like them to do as a leader and the behaviors that we expect as an organization and help bring them into understanding why these facets of team effectiveness matter and how in the long run it might make them a more powerful team if they can, you know, be more of a coach and mentor and leader on their team than simply a manager. Is even the definition of leadership changing from what it was maybe 50 years ago? Perhaps. I think that some of the models of strong leaders that we saw 50 years ago will no longer work now. I read an article about a year ago about a leader who was effective and he was a dictator and he got things done and he told people what to do. And I would strongly think that that would not work today. I think that you'd be met with a lot of resistance. People would gossip behind their back. And I don't think that people, and I think it kind of ties in what we're seeing in the media right now around quiet quitting. People are feeling just kind of done with that model of leadership. And if that is the way that someone leads, they're going to be in the background doing the bare minimum in a disengaged fashion. So if we want to motivate and engage our workforce, we need to start taking new approaches. Am I wrong where, because I'm seeing the same thing and I'm, I'm actually applauding, you know, millennials and Gen Zers because they're not going to put up with what my generation had to put up to. I mean, that dictator boss, you just kept your head down and hope they never noticed you. But it does seem we've got people coming into the work environment now who like, why should like the last thing they want to do is share the model that I grew up in. Is, is that what I'm seeing? I think so. I think there's many factors, technology and the gig economy included, where people are now having new self-employment options like never before whether or not that's the ability to have a website and, you know, source clients globally to being able to do something like Uber Eats where you're delivering food for, you know, maybe other minimum wage job prices where people have more flexibility in how they spend their work time. And so if they're going to work and dedicate themselves to an organization, they would like to see, you know, that loyalty be a two-way street. Lee, let's go to you. Well, you know, the first thing I, I would say that that uh, that person that Ariana described, I would call them a manager. You're talking about definitions. You know, manager manages things, and a leader leads and encourages and, and uh, enables and empowers people. And I think that we're seeing this trend to get away from managers. Um, you know, and, and of course, some of them they're not going to go away till they retire or die or whatever it is. But you know, as we're training people uh, to come up behind us, you know, training them to actually lead and inspire their people instead of just telling them what to do. Because, I mean, there's some brilliant people out there. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, look at look at who's on this call today. I mean, I feel dumb around you people. And, uh, you know, I found that a lot of these younger younger generations, I mean, you know, before I, before I retired from the Navy, the people that I was starting to, to get working for me are the age of my children. And, you know, and to listen to some of the ideas 
that they had and some of the knowledge that they had just coming out of the school that didn't exist when I went through it. And, you know, if you're not taking advantage of that, because, I mean, goodness knows, I've got a problem and I could bang my head against the wall trying to figure it out. Or I could ask the kid who, you know, already knows what's going on. Um, and and uh, I think a lot of people, you know, I can't take advice from someone younger than me or, you know, something. And, and they're just missing out on some some amazing stuff out there, um, especially some of these younger I.O. people that I have uh, I have interacted with in the, the, the last little bit. I mean, just some interesting, interesting stuff that didn't exist when I went through the programs. Um, but uh, and I don't remember who said this now, so forgive me, but there's been a lot of great stuff flying around here. Um, one thing that I tried several years back and uh, just it was one of those times where I was just I had it with my my boss. I was just kind of, uh, of course, couldn't do anything about it. You know, I mean, that whole contract thing um, that the military locks you in with. But I sat down with my leader and I told them my expect. What do I expect from you? And they were taken aback, I can tell you. And uh, I found that that's very interesting. It's something that I have done. Uh, in every position since then is that I sit down with my leaders and I get their expectations and then I share my expectations with them. What do I expect from you? So that we're clear. And then we, and then we follow up and revisit and we, we, uh, you know, talk about, you know, have things changed? Are we meeting expectations? And then I encourage the same people with those below me. What, and, and look on some people's faces when, what do you expect from me when you're their boss? And they're just like, and then they're afraid to answer, you know, and they're like, no, no, really. I want to know so that I can meet what we're, you know, that we're all working through this. And the change in the workplace uh, in, in a couple of instances was uh, staggering, really, in the, the the interaction with the people and the workflow. And, you know, we were having to work late and all this kind of stuff. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's getting to go home a little early because we're getting all our work done because people are communicating and they know what they're expecting and they know what their roles are. And, uh, you know, it was fascinating and gratifying and also made my life much easier. So, uh, you know, checking all those boxes. Um, but one thing I, I'd like to throw out here, just, you know, talking about these meetings with your people and everything. Uh, one thing that, that I'll, uh, I like to do, and I'm not really sure where I first heard this because I don't think I originated, but um, I've seen versions of it. Uh, I've seen it red light, green light or stop, start, continues. We do that a lot with the, uh, with the scouts. I've been involved with them. And it's after you do something, a project, an event, an evolution or whatever, you sit down and you go, okay, so, you know, what worked? What should we start doing the next time we do this? What should we stop doing because it didn't work? And what should we continue doing because it, it worked out pretty well? And you get every person to give you one of each of the three and you compile them on a list. You can put them on a board, you can, you know, however, you, however your, your team works. And it's fascinating the things that people come up with. You know, I never thought about it. You know, maybe we should try that next time. You know, and it's similar with the red light, green light. Yeah, yes, do this. No, don't do that kind of things. Um, it's a simplified version of that. But, uh, you know, if you've never done something like that, try it out. I mean, the, it's eye-opening, some of the things you'll get if you have that trust and communication. with. Yeah, it's amazing how that just changes everything. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. One of the things that I think is important to remember is that the terms leader and manager are used interchangeably, where in fact, those are two very different things. And both are equally important. Uh, we may be more focused on leaders right now, but I think that's unrealistic. You need managers to keep 
the daily operations running and to get things done. You can't run a business on inspiration alone, which is where leaders come in. So it's important to remember that those are two different things. Both are equally important. And I think companies tend to expect one person to fill both roles um, equally well. And I think it's fair to say that very often, if somebody is a good manager, they're probably not as good of a leader and vice versa. Couple that with the fact that so often people are put in management positions or leadership positions where they really don't have the necessary skills to perform those jobs as well as we would like them to. Um, so that's another challenge. And then Add to that the transitional period in which we find ourselves right now. We have this great resignation. We have the pendulum swinging from one end to the other. And I've said this during past episodes that I think there will be some kind of um, uh, some kind of a happy medium that we end up reaching. That things can't really continue on one end of the spectrum or the other. While that swing does happen when change is part of our reality, there will be a happy medium somewhere. So now you have leaders or managers who are expected to do both jobs and do them well, and they may or may not be qualified, may or may not have gotten any training. Um, now, on top of that, they're dealing with this change that we're all going to through. And then to Dr. Ariana's point, you know, it's so easy to to dump everything on the leaders or the managers and act like the employee no longer has any responsibility. That's that's not the way to do this. We're all adults with jobs. So everybody has an equal responsibility for whatever their role is. So, okay, if you know, I'm hearing a manager saying I don't want to be your babysitter, clearly that manager probably needs some help in how to manage people to begin with. But at the same time, the manager should not be expected to micromanage, right? We all know that that gets you nowhere fast. There needs to be a sense of responsibility for everybody involved. And I think that's where that's where a reasonable approach to, to this topic is. We can't look at extremes and then point our fingers at one group of people and relieve everybody else of responsibility. So I think we need to find some, some reasonable, reasonable middle ground here because we're all adults with jobs. We all need to take responsibility and we can't expect anybody, whether it's a person in a leadership position, a management position, or an employee to know how to do everything that the world expects of them, right? They can't just be left to their own devices without any help or training. Okay, but, and I want to pose this question to you because it's part of the of, of what I'm looking at right now. And I think uh, you know, 100% we need leaders. Do we need managers? I mean, if we've got a process document that shows us what our job entails, and we have the right analytics that let us know who is being successful, who is struggling, who maybe needs to change, and that information is shared with everybody, does, does not the numbers and the process manage the team on its own? And then we just need leadership? I, All right. No, no, hey. no way. No Why? way. Why? <laughs> because, because we are, if that were the case, then we would have to have 
everybody be 100% responsible every minute of the day. And that's not a reality at the workplace. That just is not a reality at the workplace. Not only that, sometimes processes need clarification. Sometimes things come up where they're out of the norm. What do we do now? What do we do in this situation? And that's where you need managers. You need managers to help people work within those parameters. If you leave a set of rules to a team, you're going to have as many interpretations of those rules as you have team members. And now we're talking chaos. Well, I don't want that. <laughs> Linda, let's go to you. I love this. <laughs> um, there's a couple of things. One is, you know, when you talk about the documents just managed themselves, and for those who didn't listen to the last hour, one of the things that Liam had said is when they did the check-ins, um, and often if those, if they weren't meeting those metrics and so forth, it was because they, their parent might be sick or their whatever, you know, so, or they're having conflict at home, whatever that issue is, right? That isn't managed by peace. That takes human leadership. And that's where it really, really matters. And so, um, you know, I, I always, the definition of leadership is you're leading people. Management is the management of the work. Some people do both. And, and are responsible for both. Um, for me, leadership is being willing to take on the responsibility of the success of helping make other people successful. And if they're if they're um, having a, a trouble doing that, then it, that's where your responsibility and skill set as a leader come into play and figure out how what needs to change and what you need to do to help make them successful. Management on the other side is, you know, you're working on a project and you have to figure out how to meet a deadline with the deliverable. And that's different. And when I would interview people, I've said this before, when I would interview people, I would say, do you want to manage people or do you want to manage projects? Because managing people, you're responsible for success. So, um, yeah. And then just a comment on the quiet cren that we, for me, that's another word to define way to define disengagement. It's always been there. It's just a new way, new word on it, but it's disengaged. Do we do do we put the effort in to get them reengaged, or do we just simply let them go and find somebody new who is willing to be engaged? I mean, well, it sometimes feels like we're burning these employees out, and we can just replace them. Well, that's well. See, the thing that was my was going to be my point is if you have someone who's disengaged. You're, there's something in your process that's creating that environment. And so if you say, okay, well, you're not cutting it. I'm going to bring somebody else in. It's just going to happen again. Yeah. Until we deal with the issue, it's just going to, Lee, let's go to you. Yeah. I just, I just want to follow on that because I've been, I've been kind of watching this with, uh, with interest, you know, especially the, the different posts on LinkedIn and, and, I, and I've seen kind of two sides to that. Uh, one being the disengagement. And absolutely. Lindan was right on there. And the other being, the, the people who are pushing back on the hustle culture and saying, my job description is X. I agreed to come in and work for X. So I no longer want to do X and Y. My, my, my day ends at five. I don't want to be here till 5.30 or six or seven or whatever. And so I think that, that there's nuance to this that we've got to be very careful about because uh, I, I worked for a company where I was told that, you know, if you had to work a Saturday, that, you know, even though comp time is supposed to be a thing, you know, we don't really do and that everybody was kind of expected to work. You know, all the sour guys expected to be there one to two hours in the afternoon every day. And the owner would walk around 
to see who was still there. In fact, we all had short, we called them kindergarten walls. Our cubicle walls were short so he could walk through and just see. And it was, it was crazy. So I, I think we need to, uh, we need to look at the nuances of this. If, if you're in an organization where you have people that are doing this, you know, what, what exactly is the thing? I mean, are they disengaged? Are they, is there a way to bring them back or are they just tired of doing somebody else's work? You know, are they just tired of taking on the load that is is outside of their their purview? I mean, because, you know, a lot of times they get you with that and other duties as assigned kind of thing in your job description. But uh, and of course, this goes back to a previous conversation we had on, you know, properly written job descriptions. But, you know, if my job says I'm supposed to do a certain amount of things and, my, and I'm supposed to, you know, whatever, if I'm not, you know, and there are some people we've talked about this as well. Some people just don't want to advance. They just want to do a job. They want to be happy. They want to. They want to be good at it, and that's what they want to do. They don't want to be a manager. They don't want to be, you know, anything beyond what they're doing. I mean, you know, we're talking about the guy who's been the janitor in the building for the past thirty years and is happy as can be, happier than the CEO because that's where he wants to be. And you know, is he quietly quitting because he finishes his shift and goes home at five? You know, I mean, so uh, we got to I think we, we need to be careful with painting too broad a brush on this on this thing. And there's been and, and there have been some fascinating discussions online about this. So uh, but before I get down my own rabbit hole, I'll, uh, I'll leave it there. Well, Liam, let me ask you, what's more important if, you know, you as a, as a leader or a manager that someone is in the office or working eight hours a day so that the company gets value? Or is it more important that the work gets done? And you don't really care if, they, if they, hey, if you can get it done in four hours, take four hours off. Well, you know, and I think that, I mean, a lot of that is going to obviously come down to industry and what your job is and whether or not you're hourly or salary. I mean, when I was on active duty, I had I, I made a deal with my work center you know, everywhere I went. I will give you as much time off as I can give you. The caveat being the work is done. And if we have something going on that requires you to be here till six o'clock tonight, you will do it and you'll not complain about it. Otherwise, we will be here till five o'clock every single day. And you know what? Nobody took option B. Everybody took the option of we will work however long it takes to get the work done. And then we all, you know, and, you know, that might have, they might they would rotate around. You know, somebody's got to be here to answer the phone or where. And so, you know, one guy stays back, everybody else goes home and then they swap, do it again the next day, you know, whatever. But I had people leaving two, three hours early on a regular basis because they were done. Where before I got to be here until four, there's no reason to be efficient. I can just work it right up till time to go and then I can leave. So in that situation, you know, in a non-operational environment, an administrative type deal, get the job done. You know, that's the way I look at it. Now, I know a lot of people are like, well, I'm paying you for 40 hours a week because that's the definition of full time. And, you know, what blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm a proponent of do the amount of work it takes to get the work done, how much time that takes. And uh, whatever time of the day you want to do it, do you want to do, do you work best at seven o'clock at night and work until two in the morning? Good on you. Just don't call me. Yep. You know, do you, would you rather work Saturday and be off on, on Tuesday? You know, I, I don't care as long as we don't have a meeting. Um, but I realize I'm an outlier there. And, uh, you know, and I, because I'm coming from some very non-traditional, you know, schedules and stuff, you know, long hours and stuff like that. So. Uh, it's really formed my opinion on a lot of this uh, on top of the things that I've read other people's experiences and whatnot. Well, I think the outliers might just become the commonplace, you know, in the, over the next five or 10 years. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I'd like to propose a third option to your question. What about the employee's well-being? 
why is the employee there late or why are they leaving early? Are we looking at a culture that is promoting self-sacrifice as the only way of getting anywhere, despite what um, effects it might have on the person's health? Is the person left without proper tools and resources to get the job done within eight hours? Um, you know, there are so many things that come into play here that I think over the years, the employee well-being has been really not even a part of the conversation until recently. Like, get here, get the job done. And maybe the two options were get it done, then you can go home or you can't go home until you put in your eight hours. But nobody said, well, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How is your health? How is your mental health? How are your resources? Do you have the tools you need? Did you spend half a day rebooting your computer? <laughs> Right. And now you're ready to throw it out the window. So I think that we are finally at a place where some organizations are starting to look at that. Now, my other point goes back to what Lee was saying with job description and that verbiage that says, and whatever else your manager asks you to do, that could be anything. That could literally be anything. Think about the insanity of that. But that has been reality, uh, reality probably for as long as job descriptions have existed. And so what does it mean if an employee says, I don't want to do that? That's not why I was hired. I don't want to do that because whatever. Does that make them disengaged? Not necessarily. Does that make them a slacker? Not necessarily. I remember working um, as a therapist and you know, it was a nonprofit and there's always issues with that. And you're always asked to do more than you're supposed to. And at one point, management suggested that everybody takes turns cleaning the bathrooms. And yes, and one of the therapists flat out refused. She just flat out refused. And the management really did not take kindly to that because now she was no longer a team player. Because as a woman who was uh, hired to be a therapist with a master's in, in social work or whatever her master's was in. She was being asked to clean the bathroom um, and she wasn't singled out. So somehow that was seen as acceptable because all of the therapists are being asked to clean the bathroom when it's their turn. So what are we talking about here? At what point is an employee truly disengaged? Or at one point, are they saying, look, this is no longer reasonable. This is about me, why I was hired, my well-being, and why I'm here. So there's so much to consider here. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, <laughs> and I ain't cleaning the bathrooms. Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. I'm going to do a bit, bit of a reset and mention quickly, conversation has gone on like a beautiful love. So we're going we're gonna to put on uh, for a different topic maybe someday. That other article we were going to get to, which is team political skill composition as a determinant of team performance. And back to, I'm also going to offer a potential solution uh, to some of the uh, some of the some of the the concerns and the the challenges that have been stated. I'm going to go back to this article again um, for everyone listening on the recording. It's called "Preventing Regression and Team Building: A Longitudinal Study of the Personal Management Interview." In case anyone wants to look at it and use it in their teams, role negotiation. So negotiation is a big part of this. And again, so that, that that time together with the PMI is role negotiation 
how they're going to interact, what are responsibilities, what are potential points of conflict. They negotiate until they reach a solution. They talk about non-negotiables. They also talk about all these other things. So I'll read verbatim because I thought this was helpful and I thought it addressed some of the things. The PMI guarantees, so having this meeting where the results are shared with the rest of the team, the PMI guarantees regular reinforcement of lessons taught in an initial team building session. Here's the important part that I found. It also directly addresses many of the forces that contributes to regression in teams. By requiring this frequent, these frequent negotiations concerning, concerning specific commitments, it decreases unrealistic expectations by providing a way of dealing with problems. It helps to ensure that reasonable expectations don't go unfulfilled. It gives participants practice and process skills, especially in holding each other accountable. So that's a big part of what we've been talking about. So then the question goes, it, because this is effective in that manner, is it also effective to run one of these where it's not just leader to subordinate, where it's subordinate to it? So it's within within that particular team. And we did a, a, a podcast on uh, communication pledge or site contract. I can't remember we called it, but they are the same thing. And this, so review, you know, anyone interested, review that particular podcast. But that's something that can be done. It's a scale back from this particular PMI process where each member of each team will connect with each other and discuss these types of things, particular points of tension, um, responsibilities, unofficial job description, maybe start having some types of role negotiation unofficially there as well. Also, uh, expectations. And, and again, with all of these, the, the underlying theme is each person that's doing that one-on-one once the other person succeed and that this whole contract communication pledge PMI is also based on trust. So here we have a particular dynamic and a, a potential, you know, based on the study results, this was very effective longitudinal study for lasted three years, right? So this particular thing worked with this particular, particular group in the study. So it goes to show it's worth trying, it's worth looking into, and it's also worth looking into maybe doing education pledge with a uh, team. And uh, we've got about a minute left. Uh, Linda Ann, last word goes to you today. I just wanted to mention something. Like when I looked at the the elements of contributed to Dijon, and it reminded me that it was a lot of the same elements that contributed to a healthy culture. And so when you're looking at doing the work to maintain your healthy culture, I think a lot of team cohesion and so forth, not that it doesn't need additional attention, but I think that it comes, it helps it a lot that just on, on that topic. The other thing too is some of this conversation about how people are managed to contribute to the team cohesion and, and so forth, some of that responsibility falls on your company size. I realize not everybody has eight, but some of it's eight, the responsibility of human resources to make sure that some of these things are taking place, that that you're coaching your managers to do certain things, that you're coaching people to have certain expectations. You're coaching employees to make sure that they communicate their expectations leader and so forth. So some of it falls on human resource professional. Yeah, so get busy. <laughs> All right, Dr. Jeremy, I think I'm gonna throw it back to you for uh, one last thought and then wrap this up, count us out. No last thoughts. This was amazing. As always, thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. 
Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.